The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Today our study brings us to the final message on the ninth commandment. This commandment is in Exodus 20, verse number 16. We find it in the second division of the law, which is identified by the word neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And neighbor conveys that this commandment is about the treatment of our fellow man, and it corresponds to uh, Jesus' teachings that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, we, we read that in the New Testament. We hear that from Jesus. But it wa- was by no means a new commandment because Jesus pulled it right out of the earliest teachings of the law. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse number 18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the people of thy, uh, children of thy people, But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I am the Lord. And so from the very earliest parts of Scripture, the Lord wanted his people to reflect his divine character. God is love, and so his people are to be those who love their fellow man. That is the purpose of the second division of the law. It teaches us to be like the God that we serve in the first table of the law, where it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and so on. And there is no commandment that we find in the Ten Commandments that will make us more like God than truthfulness. If we can't trust God, then all is futile. We have no purpose without truth. There is no meaning. There is no definition. There is only chaos. If there is no one that we can depend on, then our lives are, I guess you could just use the word, we're a mess if we can't depend on people. And you think, where would we be if the pundits are actually right about this when they deny absolute truth? They say there is no absolute truth. Without absolute truth, we are better off as hermits living in a cave. And yet, we are a society that expects a lie. Lies are so common that we've made allowances for them. We learn to live with them. We plan for them. We expect businesses We expect political leaders, even our friends at times, will lie to us. And the news media, that was once a place of unbiased facts, is filled with alternative facts, as if there is such a thing. And so we hear this with our own ears, lies that are told, but it doesn't really matter to us anymore. We just sort of live with those things. But according to God's Word, lying is never acceptable, and there is no such thing as a justifiable lie. That might be hard for us to swallow, but resorting to lies for any cause is a lack of trust in God. Well, today as we finish this series, uh, the series on this particular command, of course we still have the Tenth Commandment to go, it's time for us to take just a little bit more personal look at this. Our, Our subjects in the past three weeks have been, first of all, about the public intention of the command. That, that's how it related to Israel. That's lying in the context of the judicial system. And that's actually the way the command uh, is stated to us. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's originally intended uh, for the court's system, the court system for the correct administration of justice. And, of course, that's, that's important because uh, the innocent 
are unjustly charged if truth isn't told. The guilty are allowed to go free and don't receive due punishment if truth isn't told. And secondly, we spoke of, of a private application of the command. Specifically, this is for Christians because love of the truth is connected to the God of truth. That we can't love truth without loving God and vice versa. Truth is good for the community of Christians. We are a family. We are interdependent. It's the trust that is between us that binds us together. And so when you come to me as your pastor, you need to be able to trust me. You need to trust that I'll tell you the truth, that the word that I give you is good, that it is the remedy for the problems that you have. And then when you confide in church members, uh, you, you must be able to trust their confidence that you won't be betrayed. Our confidence in each other is anchored in the mutual trust that we have for each, with each other. Now, in the last message, though, the topic was trust in the preaching that's heard from the pulpit. You'll notice the scripture says, thou shalt not bear false witness. And that applies in a very distinct way to the pulpit. Because we have all these frequent warnings in scripture about lying false prophets, about those who are deceivers, those who mishandle the word of God, and often they do that purposely and they do it for personal gain. Others in the pulpit are telling things that aren't true simply because they're sloppy in their theology. In other words, they're just poor exegetes. They try to teach you the Word of God, but they don't know the Word of God themselves. They don't know how to interpret the Word of God. And I'm not saying that everybody who stands in a pulpit who says the wrong thing has the intent to deceive, because I don't believe that they do. And the, the punishment, for instance, for telling a lie in the pulpit would, would vary depending on, uh, uh, to the intent. What is the reason that you did it? But regardless of that, the result is the same. Lies told in the pulpit do not result in souls saved. You can't, you can't uh, bring people to Christ with a lie. Lies are never going to save. Some believe that it's okay to tell a lie. And I'm speaking of preachers again. It's okay to tell a lie if it serves a greater ministerial good. That if we can uh, encourage people... If we can get people to do things they might not otherwise do, that it might be all right to tell them a lie, that we can glorify God in a lie, if that just urges people to push themselves to serve God. But that's deceptive. Lies can never magnify God. And the idea that we could ever do evil to accomplish good, that is a lie. It's a lie in a personal sense. It's also a lie in a religious sense. Richard Tudor wrote in 1860, Look at the effort of those pious frauds upon the history of the church, and there you behold one dark, ever-thickening line of evil drawn across its records. Forged decretals, spurious sacred writings, lying miracles, the adoration of pretended relics, statues moved by machinery to deceive ignorant populace and other trickery, only to be tolerated as an exhibition of ledger domain, that means sleight of hand, as the sad result of the attempt to glorify God by a lie. And so you see then, lies become a religious tool for, from the stoic staid cathedrals right down to the outlandish free-for-alls of charismatics. The lie lives in religion, and the lie sends people to hell. 
Tudor also said, Let us scout the notion that our duty is at any price to gain the people. Let the glory of God in Christ, whether popular or unpopular, be our only instrument, and let us bravely leave the issue to our God and King if we would protest against pious frauds. Now, in the past 50 years, Baptist churches have become offenders in doing this, and that is doing anything that we want to do at any price to gain a crowd. And so the gospel is cheapened. The lie is told that it's possible for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but not really that you need to surrender to his lordship. You just need to place your faith. Lordship is something that may or may not come later. Some will even say, well, you're not even, you can follow the Lord or you can be saved and not even be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's also claimed. And what Tudor said about fake relics and statues moved by machinery, that's no worse than a Baptist who sells a false bill of goods as salvation in order to build a Sunday school and to build the church attendance, and he does that by lies. And folks, that's where we stand. The pulpit of our church is going to be a place of honesty. And we trust that, that God can do, that God can build his church through the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though, as the Word of God says, this is a scandalous gospel. People don't like it, but we believe that the Holy Spirit can purpose, through His Word, what He intends to accomplish with it, even though the truth is often roundly rejected. So that's a look at the pulpit. But the church is not the only place that truth is needed. And so we've got to look a little bit further into this and look down from the pulpit to see what's taking place in the pew. What about the person in the pew? So our third observation that concludes our study is your personal connection to the command. We can't leave this command in the hands of the judiciary. We can't say this is a command only for the pulpit. Now, these commandments that God given are, get, has given is a way of life for every person. Deuteronomy 28, verse 9, we read a moment ago, The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. Now, the first order of business for us is to consider this command negatively. That is the negative injunction. The command is stated for us negatively. Thou shalt not. And most commentators will begin their list of negative implications in the command, the negative for the individual with the sin of slander. So you would say, Thou shalt not slander thy neighbor. Titus 3.2 says, We're not to speak evil of any man. Ephesians 4.25 says, Put away lying. Colossians 3.9 says, Lie not one to another. One of the most harmful lies is slander. That's to falsely malign the character of another. Uh, to spread false rumors on someone. That's a means of destroying the reputation. And a good reputation is not automatic. That, that's something that takes time to build. Confidence in people requires a time of testing, a time of proving. This is why the Bible says that those that are chosen for the ministry are to be people that are proved over a, over a period of time because you've got to be able to see that the reputation of that person that preaches to you, that is in leadership in the church, that that person is honest, that that person tells the truth, that you can depend on him. And building that reputation is a lengthy process. Tearing down the reputation can occur almost instantly. 
every, every Sunday, I drive by the new hotel that they're building on the corner of West Golf Course and, and Redwood Drive. And it seems like they're, they're trying to break the record for the slowest building that was ever built. But I'm sure when all of that's done, that's going to be a very beautiful place. They take their time with it. And when you go in there when it's done, I'm sure it's going to be a, a great place to go in. It takes a long time to build things, but I also know this. If they decided they were going to tear that building down, they'd just pull in a crane with a wrecking ball, and they'd pull in a few dump trucks and some loaders, and probably in about three days, that entire site would be cleared, and you wouldn't even know there was a building there. That's how quickly it can be torn down. Reputations are just like that. A word that's spoken out of place, a false report, a rumor that's spread, can tear down in a very brief time when it's taken a person years to build. And then later the rumor may be proved to be false, but that's what sticks in people's minds. And, and the reputation might never be repaired because somebody said the wrong thing. I remember a young man who had a very promising career ahead of him in youth ministry. Probably later he would become a pastor. But there was someone who spread a lie about him and said that he was inappropriately involved with some girls that were in the youth group. And it was a lie. But that young man never recovered from it because there wasn't a church that would risk that claim. You see, with pedophilia being high on the list of lawsuits today, what goes on in churches today, what church is going to take a chance on that? And so that man's, young man's reputation was ruined. He lost that opportunity that he could serve the Lord in that way. So we have to be very careful about these things. We have to guard our words. Never lie with the intent to hurt anyone, to destroy their reputation. Slander is a type of lie that may not kill a person, but it can sure make him wish that he was dead. Another type of lie is a falsehood that's told to cover up the truth. And instead of confessing our faults and making things right, what we want to do is to cover our tracks, make people believe nothing ever really happened, there is no fault. And so when we do that, we compound the problem, because when you lie about something to cover up the truth, then you're going to end up telling more lies to cover up the lies. This is Saul's problem. In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel told Saul that God expected him to avenge Israel of, of their enemies by destroying all of the Amalekites and all of the substance that they had. And so Saul went into battle, he defeated them, but he didn't do what God said. Instead, he saved the king, Agag, and then he also preserved all the best of the animals. Later, God told Samuel to confront Saul because he hadn't done as commanded. And Saul listened to that rebuke, but insisted that, no, I've done everything that God commanded. And Samuel said, oh, is that so? Then what is the, the sound, the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Saul was caught, so he began to cover up, and he told another lie. Well, this is what I did. I kept all the best of the animals to sacrifice to the Lord God that I love so much. Samuel didn't buy that, so Saul told another lie. It wasn't me. It was them. It was the people who did that. They took the spoils. So if you're determined you're going to lie, you better be ready to keep telling more lies. You won't be able to stop. Most people learn this the hard way. What God said, be sure your sins will find you out. So one lie turns into a quagmire of lies. Someone has said a liar has to have a good memory. Remembering truth is easy. Remembering all the lies you've told is not. So do lies make you more like God or does that make you less like God? That would be the determiner of good lies. 
We see this all the time. Unfaithful husbands, unfaithful wives have to compound their lies to keep their secrets. Jason told me just a few weeks ago, he said, I never lied to Sheila. He said, I never lied to her because if I lie to her in the very smallest thing, she'll never trust me in the bigger things. Knowing that kind of puzzles me. Why well, always has a guilty look on its face. I don't understand that. But this command is to, to love our neighbor as ourself. And who regards his self that wants to be lied to? So how do we treat our neighbor? Never with anything but the truth. As Christians, we need to be exemplary in honesty without regard to the circumstances. There isn't any such thing as a mostly honest person. Honesty doesn't come in degrees. If you're dishonest in anything, you will be dishonest in anything. Who, who can trust you to be honest in the next thing if you're not honest in this thing? And I've read plenty of stories about people who are dishonest. Things like constructing a resume when they go to apply for a job, and so they lie about uh, their job history. Maybe they lie about their education. And then when the employer finds out about it, they turn them down, they can't get the job, or they may hire them not realizing this, and they find out later that they lied and they get fired. Why? Because if that person is dishonest in the very beginning, what credibility does he have to be honest in anything that's required? So I could go on and on and on about these sorts of lies. You know about them, you live with them, you see them, they come in all sides, uh, shapes and sizes, they're part of our everyday life. But although lies are, are common and they're often acceptable to us, they are never acceptable to God. And so God hates it when people are just plain old people. Do you understand? He hates us being just plain old people, fallen people who should not act like fallen people because all of us have been made in the image of God. God never lies. And certainly His people should never lie. But I suppose that one of the worst lies to come from the pew is hypocrisy. And this is the lie that tries to convince people we are what we are not. Arthur Pink wrote, The prohibition of bearing false witness against my neighbor equally forbids me to bear false witness against about myself, which is done when I pose as being holier than I am, or when I pretend to be more humble or more anything else than is actually the case. Now, if I'm going to be totally honest with you today, I don't, I don't know of any preacher, including me, who's totally transparent. Now, some are better than others in, in this area. Some are worse. But the best, of, the best of the preachers are always going to admit that we are sinners. And in some sense, that makes us a hypocrite when we stand here and tell you that you ought not to sin. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul addressed that kind of hypocrisy and he said, we can't preach against sin and at the same time be guilty of the sins that we preach against. But in a measure, that's what we do because we know there's no preacher that'd be able to stand behind a pulpit and open the Bible and preach about sin by saying, I'm not a sinner, to get our authority from that. Well, we know that we can't do that. That kind of hypocrisy is not intended, it's not malicious, we have to live with that because you've got to realize that your pastor, your leadership, has they have feet of clay. But there's another hypocrisy in the pew and in the pulpit. It can be there when we pretend and our Christianity is just for show and our private lives are nothing at all like our public persona. Often that 
Hypocrisy is so deep that people lie to themselves. They're self-deceived, believing they're a Christian, when there is no evidence in the life that they are. The Bible teaches that Christianity is more than skin deep. There has to be evidence in a person's life when he comes to Christ. There will be evidence of a change in him. But instead of the outward change, an inward change rather, what we often see is simply this, the, the outward things. The outward change that has to be propped up in public, but it never stands in private. Many times there are people that claim that they're Christians because of what I did. And that is, I walked an aisle one time. I, I shook a preacher's hand. I got baptized one time. Always what they did was in the past. There's something that I did at one time, and so they put their hope in that act. They put their hope in the amount of time that they claimed Christianity, professed it. But the Word of God never gives us confidence to look at the past. Not one time does the Word of God say that your confidence should be built on one act that you did on one day. You prayed a prayer and you said that you believed. Not one time does the Bible say that Christians need to walk an aisle repeatedly for rededication. Preachers lie to people when they, when they say to them and encourage them with this, once saved, always saved. When the persons that they're talking to we're never once saved. So are you aware the Scripture says that those are only Christians who persevere in the faith? Though sometimes believers fall into sin, sometimes they get into very deep sin, and yet there's always a time that they'll be renewed to repentance and fellowship with Christ. Sin cannot be their habit. They always come to repentance if they're true believers. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And that's a verse that's talking about habitual sin, that a child of God can't do it. A child of God cannot continue to live in sin. And sadly, there are pretenders to the faith, and there are many that go to hell from the church pew. In our fundamentals class on Wednesday nights, we've learned one of the fundamentals of the faith is obedience. It's the character of those who have faith in Christ to be obedient. Judas is the classic example of a pretender. He walked with Christ. He went to the disciples' functions. He preached with Christ. He held the finances of the church. And yet Judas was a hypocrite. And he went to hell from the church pew. He's an imposter that fell into the category of Matthew 7 22 and 23, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And I'm afraid when I think of this, that there could be members in Berean Baptist Church that pretend that they know Christ, but they're self-deceived. And what they do is they rely on that thing that they did in the past when honestly they can check their lives right now and find there is no proof, there is no evidence of saving faith in them. They lied to themselves. And the result is eternity in hell. Never take comfort in what you used to do. Take no comfort in how long you successfully put up a front and you fooled others and may have fooled me and even fooled yourself. Just gauge it by this. Do you live in sin in private and then come here to put on a show? If 
find no confidence in a salvation that allows that kind of hypocrisy. Now, I hate to say this as well, that some of you need to stop lying to yourselves about your children. And this is a sad thing. Children are brought to church at a very early age. They're rushed into their decision for Christ, and yet they didn't understand. Now they've fallen away from that profession. And there are plenty of Baptist churches who will say to you, oh, you don't need to worry about that. Don't need to worry about that. They, they said the prayer, didn't they? And they, they said the prayer. And once saved, always saved. No further proof is required. You never want to encourage a child who's fallen away and does not go to church that their profession is real. You don't find that confidence in any scripture of the Bible. God's people don't fall away. At times they grievously sin, but they will come to repentance. So we stand with this historic Baptist profession of faith that says this about a true believer. And though they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalence of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves, yet shall they renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. And then let me add just another word to those of you who claim Christ and your salvation. How much of your life have you actually given to Christ? Well, this will reference the song that we heard earlier. The scriptures say that we are to love God with all our heart, our soul, and our strength. And so if I ask you, I think if I ask anybody here in this congregation today, especially members of Brian Baptist Church, if I ask you, do you love Christ? You'll say that you do. But how does your love compare to what Jesus said that you should do? Now, you've just heard what he said. You are to love God with all of your being. When you love your neighbor and you keep the commandments, the faithfulness to do that is the evidence that you have true belief. So, when you sing, is it a lie? When you stand and sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? Is it a lie when you sing, take my life and let it be ever only all for thee? It's hypocrisy if you stand to sing songs to the Lord and yet you have no evidence and no intention to do what that song says. And then what about your habits? Can you prove that you're a Christian by the friends that you keep? Is there evidence in the activities that you enjoy? Is it your God and your love for God one day a week? And that happens on Sunday. And then there's six days where it's you and yours and you never think about God. The hypocritical lie is damaging. What you do proves more than what you say. Now, what you say can make you a liar. What you do proves that you are, or not. Now, I hasten on to finish today. There are many, many negative instances of lying. You can make all the excuses that you want, but there's never a good excuse for lying, because God is always the truth. He always dwells in truth. And I do need to hurry on, but I, can't, I just can't resist an example from scriptures that often perplexes people, uh, uh, the students of the Word on this issue. How can we say that a lie is never good when it appears that God used lies for good? 
So I want to give you an Old Testament example that will stand good for all the good lies. If there is such a thing as a good lie, here's an example for you. This is the, the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. Rahab hid the spies that Joshua sent to scope out Jericho before Israel took up their task of conquering the city. For sake of time, we'll not read it. You can look at it later. But the spies were sent, and they crossed the Jordan. They went into Jericho, and they surveyed all the fortifications of the city, and they found lodging in the house of a, of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And they stayed at her house while they checked out the city. And the king of Jericho found out that they were there, and so he sent soldiers to go and arrest them. And when the officials came, Rahab told them that the spies had left, and they needed to go very quickly and try to catch them before they got away. But secretly, what Rahab had done was hid the spies upon the roof under stalks of flax. And she did that because she had become a believer in Jehovah God. And so she agreed to keep their secret in exchange for her life and the life of her family when Israel came to destroy the city. Now the question that perplexes many people, is that lie or was that lie acceptable? And this is a very odd thing. The first thing that Rahab did as a believer was tell a lie. How do you figure that out? Is that a righteous lie? It's a tough one. Is it okay to lie? So here's my take on this. And that is that the success of God's work never depends on lies. The spies weren't harmed, and they couldn't even tell if Rahab was on their side unless Rahab told the lie, and that sort of doubly complicates things. But what if the spies had said to Rahab, tell them we're on the roof. We're up here, we're on the roof. You just tell them up here, we're up here, come and get us. Do you think God could have saved them anyway if that's what they'd said? Could God have made the pursuers blind so they couldn't find them? Did you know he did that to wicked men in Sodom when they tried to get into Lot's house? He just struck them all with blindness, and it says they wearied themselves to find the door. They couldn't get into the house because God just made them blind. Do you think God couldn't have done that with the spies? Do you think God couldn't have done what he did with Elisha and Gehazi when the Assyrians were after them, the Assyrians were coming, and... And Gehazi's worried, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and Elijah says, calm down. Calm down a little bit. And the Lord opened his eyes to see what Josh, uh, Elijah rather, had just told them. There are more with us than are with them. And he opened Gehazi's eyes, and there surrounding in the hillsides were a host of angelic armies. Do you think God couldn't have done that? God doesn't need lies. Now, it's true that God used the lie after the fact, but God didn't need a lie. God never does. Now, this raises another question. Maybe this comes to your mind, because there are times in the Bible when it says that God put a lying spirit into prophets' mouths. You can wrestle with that for a little bit on your own. And what you'll learn when you, when you get through with all of that, you'll learn this, that God controls all evil as well as good. That God is never a passive spectator. But we need to finish. You can study those things on your own. Every command also has an opposite side. This one's expressed negatively. So there's also the second side. That's the positive injunction. Ephesians 4.25 says, Wherefore, putting... Away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That's the positive, speak the truth. Truth is your 
character witness. Lies indicate that your devil, or that the devil is your father. John 8:44. You have your father, the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Lies prove that you are a liar. Well, maybe you should write that profound statement down on your sheet too. Lies prove that you are a liar. Lies prove that you are a fool. Proverbs 10, 18. He that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Lies prove your religion is vain. James 1, 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Lies cause hatred. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Lies spread wickedness. Proverbs 29, verse 12. If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. Only truth makes you like God. And so, Scripture says, speak every man truth to his neighbor. Now, let's just feel that out for a little bit. Have you ever felt like telling the truth would be harmful? If truth is told, is it sometimes so hard that truth ruins relationships? That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, this is the reason uh, that we have to be very wise in telling the truth. Often what we need to do is, very often, especially as a pastor, we have to reprove people of their sins. We have to tell them that they are guilty sinners. The gospel needs to be spoken in truth. And so we don't worry about whether we hurt people's feelings when we deal with them about their lost condition because there are many people that just end up being crushed when they find out that what they thought about themselves is not true. And so because of that, there are those who will begin gospel presentations with things like this. Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So we'll say to them, oh, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And you've got to be very careful about that because you have no idea of God's plan for their life. The only thing that you know, God will save them if they believe. And if they don't believe, God does not have a wonderful plan for their life and never had a wonderful plan for their life. We've always got to speak the gospel in truth. But there are other times, although truth is truth, that it doesn't need to be said. And I'm not saying that you should lie about things, but to be honest, or, or rather to be open and candid about things is not always the thing that you should do, and not always proceed that way, because truth has to be handled correctly. For example... I know things that are true about people. You wouldn't believe some of the things that I hear in my position that are true about people. But what good does it do me to tell somebody else or just tell them sometimes that I know what's really true about them? They're family members that I get upset with and I know they're wrong and I'd like to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and I would tell them what I know to be the truth, but... It would do them no good, and it wouldn't do me any good to tell it, so I just don't say anything sometimes. We need to learn how to handle the truth. Now, truth that needs to be told must be handled with kindness. Is, is it better just to unload harsh truth on someone, or is it better that you put your arm around them and gently rebuke them with the truth? Sometimes in the pulpit, I have to speak harshly. I might 
be scathing at times because I have to talk to you about the seriousness of sin and how serious that God is about it. I might even be sarcastic at times about it. Both Paul and Jesus used sarcasm uh, when they dealt with telling the truth. But there aren't too many times that I'm going to meet with you directly one-on-one and scold you with the truth. Rather, when I talk with you, I'm going to be cautious with my words. Might even try to use a little bit of psychology in there to, to get across what you need to know. It's still the truth. It's just a different way of approaching you to get that desired effect. And so there are diverse ways to tell the truth. Admittedly, there are times that truth is told with the intent of making it sound like a lie, which is effectively to turn the truth into a lie and cause you to believe the truth is a lie. So truth can often be manipulated for false purposes. But to be like God, we've got to handle the truth appropriately. God was harsh with the truth when he dealt with Israel over their sins, but then God also, in Jesus Christ, was the good shepherd who went to the sheep, found the lost sheep, and picked him up and put it on his shoulders and brought that sheep home. It's just a matter of how the truth is told that makes us wise like God. So let me just finish with a few positive benefits of speaking the truth in love. Scripture says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And we can say that about the truth. So here are just a few things for you to write down on your way out. A person who tells the truth proves his righteousness. Proverbs twelve seventeen: He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness. John three twenty one: But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Or in other words, they are righteous. A person who tells the truth delivers souls. Proverbs fourteen twenty five: A true witness delivereth souls. A person who tells the truth will be blessed. Psalm 24, 4 and 5, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. A person who tells the truth delights in God's word. Psalm 119, 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. And then finally, a person who tells the truth will live eternally. Proverbs 12, 19, the lip of truth shall be established forever. Psalm 15, 1 and 2, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. So what does truth mean to you in the pew? Ephesians 4, 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You will grow up into all things in Christ. What's that mean? The very thing that we've been struggling with, what the Ten Commandments about. You keep the commandments if you are truthful, if you do this, if you do not lie, you will be like Christ. You're never more like God when you tell the truth. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Colossians 4.6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. So this is the thrust of this command. How do people hear you? How are they going to know you? 
Are you trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? Or are you like the world? You know, the world expects the lie. So what I would say to you as Christians, just, just be unpredictable. The, the, the world expects the lie. You be unpredictable. God's children are different. We tell the truth. And so can others tell that you are a child of God by the way that you speak? Truth is God's character. And that's the character of God's children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, help us to be people of truth. I know that it can't happen unless our faith is in Jesus Christ as Savior. You are the God of truth. And to be like you, we have to have that spirit of God that lives in us to make us so. As the Word of God says, all of us are sinners. All of us have failed to the grace of God. None of us seeks you. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do anything that will make us like you. Father, we pray that you work in the hearts of people today. For those who aren't saved, that they would hear this truth today, that the Holy Spirit would use that truth to convict the heart and bring them to you. And then for Christians that have been pretenders in many ways and maybe looking back on things that they did in the past as their proof of their salvation, help them, Lord, to examine. As the Word of God says, we need to prove our salvation. We need to know today that we are saved by the evidence that we give in our lives, not hypocrites, but serving you in righteousness and in truth. Help us, Lord, to do that. Be with us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.